I like to sit when I preach because I'm not a good multitasker and it keeps me from shaking. Um, not from the Holy Spirit, from nerves. <laughs> um, I've been doing this for a while now, but each time I think I still feel always just a little bit of the nerves. I think part of it is um, an honest desire for you guys to hear from God. The other one is just um, a way that I like to interact with the Lord when I'm up here. I just like to hear what he's saying, even as I'm up here. And so at any given moment, sometimes he might change and switch up the script. And so I like to be able to stay open to that. Um, So let me just open and pray. Father God, I just thank you for what you want to do right now. And Holy Spirit, we just continue. We know that you're here, but we just make our hearts receptive to you and your works. I pray that through this word, as it goes forth, Lord, that it wouldn't be my word that goes forth, but your word that goes forth. That it would be your word that would shift and change hearts, God. That you would set people free, God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, for those of you guys who haven't been here, and even for those of you who have, we've been going through the book of Matthew. Um, I don't know when we're going to finish because... It's a long book, but I'm excited about the prospect of actually finishing something that I start, that we start. Um, And so right now we're in Matthew 6, so feel free to turn with me. Um, So before we got here, so right now we're at Matthew 6.25, but before we got here, we had a couple of different segments that I want to kind of contextualize. So we had a segment that I would say verses 1 through 4, and it was about giving. And then there was another segment, verses 5 through 15, and it's, I would just roughly say that it's called prayer. And then there's another section between verses 16 through 18, and that's on fasting. And then um, another section that we talked through last week, which was 19 through 24, and it was kind of money, uh, treasure, earthly reward, that kind of thing. And then we're heading into an area and a section that I would like to call basic needs. But one of the things I want to kind of contextualize before I get into it is that the theme in all of these, if you look through them, is that the word reward shows up in each and every one of them. In each and every one of these one, two, three, four, five sections, the idea of reward is pretty central. In the one about um, giving, it says in verse one, otherwise you'll have no reward left with your father who's in heaven. Um, and the whole entire, and it continues to say that basically, I'll, I'll kind of summarize all of it, that there's a couple of basic things. One, there is a reward to be had. Two, there's a heavenly reward. Three, there's also an earthly reward. The last point, though, you can only have one of them. You can't have the earthly reward and the heavenly reward. In the story about the giving, the earthly reward is basically, it's about the, the whole entire little snippet is about if you're going to give somebody something, 
right? Don't let people see. Because if people praise you, then you're, you already got your earthly reward. The earthly reward is basically the praise of man or a sense of self-righteousness, right? Because it says don't allow your left hand to see what your right hand's doing. So the reward is kind of a sense of, like, I did a good thing, or someone else tells you you did a good thing. The heavenly reward that they say here is that your Father in heaven sees, and he's going to reward you. It doesn't say exactly what, but it says that he will reward you. In the prayer, the earthly reward is basically, again, he, it says don't pray so that, with a lot of words so that people can see you. Again, the earthly reward is the praise of man. And he says, and even if you're in your closet, you don't need a ton of words just to sound and feel like you're doing some really holy religious thing, right? The whole thing is still the praise of man or a sense of self-righteousness. And then it says, again, there's that or there's the heavenly reward, which comes from your father. And then in the fasting one, it says basically, again, if you're going to fast or you're going to do this religious thing, like, don't do it for earthly rewards. What does it say that the earthly rewards are? It's the praises of man, again. Or, um, or again, feeling like you did a really great holy thing, feeling great about your own, how another way to say it, your own way of finding salvation and peace. And then it goes to the next part, and it doesn't event actually say money, although you can pretty much extrapolate without any um, weird hermeneutical flaws that it is about money. Um, but but it, I think it encompasses more than just, right? It says, so the principle is, it says, you can store up treasure here on earth, or you can store up treasure for yourself in heaven. And all the stuff here on earth that you're storing up, praises of man, physical treasure, self-righteousness, status, elevation of self, wealth, that's fine. But it will be fleeting. In verse 20 it says, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. So it doesn't actually tell you what it is. All you know that everything else goes away, but what God has will remain forever. And then it goes on to say that you can't serve two masters. You'll, the two masters, I think one is self, earthliness, the flesh, all that is fleeting, that is your first master. The praises of man, everything that feels good for here. The second master is God. And in its most simple way, God is eternal. God is other. God is holy. God does not exist here. He is spirit. Everything that he wants for us isn't found in what we touch and feel and see. It's not saying that those things are not important or whatever, whatever, but 
in how we actually conceive everything in the kingdom, everything, I think one of the things is that your flesh profits you nothing. And those two masters, the natural, the flesh, or God, the eternal, there's, like, everything in here is set up pretty much with those two diametric opposites. And you can't serve both. Whenever you serve your flesh, you, you're, it says that you're going to resent the Lord. I'll get into it maybe a little bit more, but I will kind of touch upon it now. A lot of times we can tell what's going on with our heart by how fearful we are to go to God. Because if we have, there's, if there's two potential masters, we're going to talk to one or the other. Somebody's always getting talked to. <laughs> and when we're talking to the one that's gratifying our soulishness and our flesh, usually that's when we can start to know. That's when we're most tense about talking to God, our eternal father. We're almost always going to be scared because our soul in its best place has to be with God. But when it starts to drift away, we're always afraid. The reason why we drift away is because fear comes in. And our soul, in its state of fear, is always, starts to believe that, that God wants to take things away. And I think what's important to understand is where the next section fits in. Because if all of this did not fall in context with verses 25 um, through 31 that, or 34 that comes up, then we have a very sad situation where we don't, we live in a very, um, a life where we can't enjoy anything here. And all that we can do is live just for the spirit realm. <laughs> and then why are we even talking about anything here? We should all just go die and go to be with Jesus. I mean, right? Like, that's kind of how sometimes people think about it. Like, what's the point then? But that's not how God frames it. So let's kind of, um, let's open it up into uh, verse 25, and I'll read through. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. As to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body, as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. Do not... They do not toil, nor do they, they do not, uh, wait, sorry. And why do, are you worried about, your, about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? Because the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. The battle between our flesh and our soul is always a battle between instant and delayed gratification. It's not about not getting gratification. I think a lot of, I've heard it said um, that God isn't interested in rewarding you and that and things like that, but I don't think that that's true. I think God's really interested in right order. Right? It says, it lines up all that stuff about, okay, don't do this for your flesh. Don't please man. Don't do this. Do it in secret and blah, 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 right? And then it goes into verse 25 and it says, for this reason. It's basically saying, once you choose the spirit for this reason, you don't need to worry. The whole thing isn't an instruction about, like, don't you worry. If you worry, you're a bad Christian. That's not how it is. It's actually saying, like, no. Look, if you choose to live by the other master, not the one that's fleeting, but by the one, by him who is eternal, you don't need to worry. I want to draw attention to verse 26. It kind of stuck out to me a little bit. It says, look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this. I think that this is actually a pretty big reason why it's hard for us to not worry. I think what this talks about, are, do you not see that you're worth more? Do you not see that you are worth more than the birds? They're nice. God takes care of them. It's great. <laughs> but he cares more about you. He's as cheesy as this is, it kind of makes me think of that really cheesy pop song that says, God must have spent a little more time on you. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but, like, I would like to think, I mean, I don't know how much time, right? Because God created us about a time when time is a little bit harder to measure. But, but I'd like to think that when he made us humans, and he made us in the image of him and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that he had more 
in store for us than just to fly about on our instincts, to roam around. What the enemy does a lot of times, what causes worry is because we don't think that we can trust God because we don't think he actually loves us that much. We don't think he actually cares about us that much. So we decide that if nobody else cares about me, I'm going to care about me. The enemy always hits us with a lack of self-worth, with rejection. He'll hit us with how we see ourselves. Kind of like, well, why would God spend this time thinking about me? Or he, he cares about everybody else, right? That's usually more so what we hear. Not that he doesn't care about humanity at all, although that's sometimes a bleak way to think about things. Um, and I used to think like that. Um, but some, usually it looks a little bit more like, oh, man, I can see how much he cares about that person. That person got married. I can see how much he cares about that person. That person has a child. I can see how much he cares about that person because they're actually really suffering. They really were abused. But I'm fine. So I don't need to ask God about my job. I don't need to ask God about this little hurt when this person didn't look at me or when um, I wanted to go to that space, that place on that mission trip or I wanted to do X, Y, Z, and that thing didn't happen. I think a lot of times we forget that he says here, like, think how perfect. I mean, not a scientist. I'm not. I don't know how to get into all the details of how birds fly and all of that stuff. But think about like how incredibly perfect a bird is, right? And how precise and how it does. There's nothing in nature, unless we destroy it, that usually goes hungry by itself, like just starves, you know? There's nothing in nature that doesn't have a place where it's supposed to rest or be. There's nothing in nature that is lacking. And yet, and God's like, when I'm in charge, I love you more than that. Like, I think about you more than that. A lot of time, so we all have parents, right? Um, in some way, I hope so. Um, most of us in this earth now have parents. Um, but a lot of times we still act like orphans. You know, we go to the Lord and things will happen to us. And we don't expect that he wants to talk to us about it or care about us. Like I think about our little girls. Man, I didn't think I was going to be this kind of person, you know. I was like totally the no, no toys person because I didn't grow up with toys, you know. And I was like, dude, kids in America, they don't know how good they have it, right? Like American kids, you know, not from, didn't grow up you know, with that, like, didn't have kid toys or anything when I was growing up, and I'm like, man, I, when I have kid, when I have kids, I don't, I'm not going to buy a ton of toys for them, you know, like, it's so wasteful. Why, what do they need all this stuff? They're going to, like, play with it for three months or even, like, one day, and then they're going to be tired of it, you know, forget it. I'm going to spend money on something that's going to really matter. And then these perfect little people come. 
right? And they lay there. And then you're like, man, it would really be great if they had something to bat at, you know? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, and if they get a book that's like black and white because they can't see color, then that will help develop their like sense of stimulation. That's awesome, right? And then like a little bit later, they start to eat and you're like, man, oh, I love that thing that they can hold and then they can really enjoy their food. Man, you know, like then they, even if they don't have teeth, they can just chomp around. And, you know, and then you're like, man, and then you see how delighted they are when they have a favorite little stuffed animal and you're just like, man, I just want to give them everything that makes them happy all the time. And honestly, the only thing that stops me besides Ryan... <laughs> And a sense of good stewardship is really like, would it spoil them? Like, would it turn them into these capitalistic, consumer, materialistic people, you know, that start demanding everything? And so, I mean, really, that's a real thought that goes on in my brain, right? But when I see them, like, enjoy stuff, I remember McKenna was like one and a half or one or something where she knew how to run by then. It was her birthday. She must have been two. And Ryan's coworker, I don't know how she knew. She had, she gave her these Sesame Street stuffed animals. And at that point, every single day in our car was like, see, it's for cookie. It's good enough for me, right? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, Lord. And I remember the moment when she looked up, like, God, I, I think we even recorded it. It was like the best moment, I think almost of my whole life, except when she showed up. She opened it, she was like, what is this? She opens it, and she goes, ah! You know, it was like such sheer delight, and she just takes it out, and then she starts zipping around the house with Cookie Monster, and then she, she, she's like, wait, there might be something else in there. So she goes back into the bag, and she goes, oh my gosh, there's an Elmo! And then she goes, Meh! She runs back and forth in the house. And then she's like, oh, wait, is there anything more? Let's go back and look. And she pulls out the next thing. It's a big bird. And then it's a snuffy. It's a whole entire Sesame Street family, right? <laughs> and the pure delight of seeing that joy in her eyes. I have been trying to recreate that moment. <laughs> And it's like, oh, and so I'm just like, God, if, if me, this person who until I was maybe 23 years old didn't even want children, didn't even like other people's children very much. <laughs> Let's, I'm just being honest, right? Until I was 23, I'm, I'm much older than that, so I like them now. But if somebody like me could want and take so much delight in the joy of my children discovering and enjoying something. How proud must I be to think that you would love even less? Like, like when you look at me, like you have even more infinite capacity to love. There's nothing in me that would want my children to not have everything that they wanted. I just don't want the things that they want to destroy them. 
there's nothing in me that's like, man, I'm just really like, I just want McKenna to serve me. <laughs> I just want her to do stuff for me. Why can't she, McKenna? <laughs> you know, I don't yet boss Kylie around like that because she's too little, but I mean, and I wouldn't, you know, again, this is not about my little, my, my little minion circus. <laughs> um, but really, like, I think, I just want to hit this point home. Because I think a lot of times we think about worry and we think, and we forget that we have this parent. And he really, all he wants to do is know what our hearts want. No matter how old we get. I think we sometimes think, oh, he only cares when we're really little. And now I have to grow up. And now I got to get my act together. Now I have to go to work. And now, and especially, you know, if you're in ministry or whatever, whatever, you know, like you reach a certain point and you're like, man, I should know better. And we lose that reminder that God still is our dad and he still loves when we're, when we can purely enjoy good things. And that includes those basic needs that we think that we have that he's not caring about. I think as we get older, of course, our basic needs seem to get a little bit bigger than just eating and drinking and being clothed. You know, they start to encompass real things. I remember um, <clears throat> actually I'll tell that story later. It, fe it fe feeds into the next part. So let's go to verse 27 though. It's, so, are you not worth much more than they? And then in verse 27, it says, And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? So this is a mini rebuke, I think. Like, seriously. I think a lot of times, I think we think that when we worry, <laughs> we're able to actually do something. And I think why this line is in there is it's actually what I phrase in my notes I put, it's the, it's the humility line. <laughs> it's like, check, wait, hold on. <laughs> Can you actually do anything? <laughs> you know, like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but like, can you actually like change even the color of your hair? Can you, you know, like, can you do anything? Like to provide all these stuff? Like, we can't change other people and how they feel about us. We can't create favor with our bosses. We can't create favor with man. We can't promote ourselves. We can't create anything. We can't actually make someone else fall in love with us. We can't make someone want to be our friend. We can't 
even if we want, we can search for a house, but we can't make someone accept our bid. You know, we can do really well in school, but we can't make a school accept us. We can't make the financial aid happen. We can't, there's so many things that we can't do. And I think we can't bear fruit. I, I mean, this goes on, right? But I think there are a lot of things we can do. But, let, but I think when we are worried, what it actually is saying is that if I just think about this long enough, it's kind of our human way of holding on to something. Worry's kind of like, as long as I'm thinking about it, maybe I can do something about it. I think worry is a form of control. Like, like if I just think about it, and if I, if I let it go, what if God forgets? If I don't remind him, maybe it won't happen. It's like the honeydew list that, ha you know. <laughs> and it's like I have to keep reminding him or I have to keep thinking about it. I have to, if I just hold on to it, maybe something will happen of this. But it's such a self-elevated perspective. And it's an inaccurate assessment of our own capabilities. What I think we can do, though, right? Like, we can't actually make those things happen. But I think the good thing about the kingdom of God is it's very clear there are certain things he can do and there are certain things that we can do. So we can't actually make some of those things happen. But what we can do is we can go to him. We can tell him what we need. We can express our feelings. And I know that that seems really weak. And for a lot of us, it feels like that's not okay. But actually telling God what's going on with us is the thing that he wants the most. He invites us to be like David, search me and know me. You know, like, he wants us to invite us in. He wants us to want him around. Because the truth is, we can't really move anything in our life effectively. We can, we can kind of shuffle things around, but it may not produce anything lasting. And God's like, okay, what I'm in the business of doing is making things last. What you're in the business of doing is being with me and talking to me. What, you're, what I want you to do is to say yes. Your, our strongest asset to the Lord is our will. Our will is the reason there was a stinking other tree in the garden. <laughs> our will is so important to God that he allows all the crazy mess in this world because he values our will so much because he, that is the only place where love can exist is if we have a will to choose it. And he values love with us so much. He doesn't really actually care at all about all the other stuff. He wants our will to say yes. He wants our will to choose him. 
He wants our will to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. It's hard for me, but I choose you. He wants our will to activate into a place of faith. I remember, um, so Ryan and I, um, McKenna came along about four years ago. We've been married now for about 10 and a half, almost 11 years. Um, when we, before we first got married, I actually wasn't super excited about the idea of kids. And then about mm, three to four months into our marriage, um, we had like a little pregnancy scare. And all of a sudden, and I was like, oh my gosh, am I? Right? And everything in me at that point was like, I thought I would dread it. I had this idea like that I would hate the idea. But all of a sudden, I mean, I, we, of course, we didn't end up having a kid, but um, that, that it opened my heart and my mind up to like, oh my gosh, maybe this isn't so horrible. And all of a sudden, this like desire to to want to have a child started in my heart. And then we kind of were passively trying, but we just weren't getting pregnant. And I remember like our other friends would get married, and then they'd have a a honeymoon baby. And then our other friends would get married. And then a year later, they'd have a baby. And then, you know, the whole thing, and after about like five years or so, and everybody would always ask, you go to a million baby showers, and everyone would always ask you, so when do you guys want to have kids? You know, and, and I'm not like hurt by it or anything, but sometimes you're like, you don't know how painful that question can be. You know? I remember like, seeing other people and their little kids and their babies and like being like god you know my heart you know what i want but i believe that you're good and in this place i recognize that i can't make any of this happen i invite you into this place this very real place of pain this very real place of not understanding you know um by that point, we'd had a, a ton of people pray for us. And I actually think that that was probably the thing that unlocked a lot of it. But in that place of waiting and praying, what I didn't think God was going to do was he actually sent Benjamin and Sonny to come to our church. And that was like in around year five. And I remember, you know, things at the church were really, really stressful. Super, super stressful. And um, at that time, Benjamin and Sonny were like, and they didn't, you know, they were just like, hey, I think it'd be better for us to kind of take the reins. I didn't know them from anyone at the time, to be honest. I didn't have a grounds to trust them or anything, but I trusted God. And for me at that point, especially because I didn't have physical children like this, the ark was like my, like as close to my own kids as humanly possible. And so I hand, so we, you know, Ryan and I were like, okay, you know, you guys take over. Immediately, the day after we actually f- like sit down from our ministry, we get pregnant. Um, yeah. It was the last day of one of the retreats, and it was like the last thing that I was doing, that Ryan and I were doing. 
And um, and I remember, like, we went home, and then we took the pregnancy test, and we're like, oh, my gosh. And um, it was, like, it was, and then God, I remember God just saying, like, you didn't know, but when you were taking care of my, what was, you know, when you were concerned about me, I was concerned about you. And what you thought when you're surrendering the church, I was thinking about something else. And I think that a lot of times when God asks us to obey or when God asks us for something or when God asks us, hey, let me take care of stuff, we think that he's wanting to take something away. And at the time, I was like, it was really hard. I'm like, man, but the ark. But God gave us McKenna and Kylie. And then he gave us back the ark. And I don't know if it always happens that he gives it back. Right? Like, because that's not why you give things up. (laughs) I just want to say that. (laughs) It's not manipulation. Um, But I think the point is that God knows what's perfect for you. You know, like, if, even if that thing isn't great, like, he's got his timing. He knows what's right and I remember, like, for, I, I remember the Lord um, prompting me to go on missions after last, last, uh, last week I shared. Like, after I graduated from college, I promised God that I was going to give him the first two years of my life after college as a life tithe. And the most important thing in my life up to that point was my mom. I am her only child. She has slaved and worked night and day and done everything for me. And what, not that she said this overtly, but what I felt my duty was after I graduated to start to help her financially. But instead, the Lord asked me to go on missions. And so I had to have a really scary, scary conversation (laughs) where I had to surrender again, my mom. And the Lord was like, I want you to give your mom's approval, expectations to me. And so I was like, okay, mom, (laughs) I'm going to go do this thing and it's going to cost me money. (laughs) Um, And I'm not going to (laughs) work for at least two years. You cool with that? (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm not. Um, But I did it. You know, we put God's desires above our own. And um, I remember after I had told her that I was going to do it, she called, you know, a couple weeks, I was still living at home. She calls me and she says, hey, I want you to come right here. And I'm like, okay, what? Apparently, so the place that I was going to go was a place called Perth, Australia. It's the most isolated city in the entire world. And she says, you can go. I'm like, what? She's like, we have family there. Like, what? (laughs) What are Vietnamese two people doing in Perth, Australia, you know? Like, what? (laughs) And she's like, and it turns out that my family, I had a cousin that none of us had talked to that was living across the street from the base in this isolated city. And because of that one reason, my mom was like, you can go. So, (laughs) and it was honestly a trip that changed my life. 
And so when, I'm, when I read here, like, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm not just telling you something that I haven't lived myself. Like, when we put God first, and this isn't a prosperity thing, like everything will work out financially always, you know, but what it is is a promise that everything you really need, he will be faithful. He will be faithful. If it needs to fall out of the sky, it can. If, it can, if it's going to just happen by someone walking through that door, it will. If it's going to happen by your hard work and you being faithful and sitting at a computer and applying, it will. But it will still be his hand doing it. But the thing that he's saying is, but don't you worry about it. Don't hold on to it so tightly that I can't do anything about it. Have any of you guys ever, I don't know if you guys have, but had a boss or been a boss and someone asks you to do something and then they micromanage you? Right? Here's the job. And then let me tell you exactly how you do it. I'm going to stand over you and make sure you do it. Are you sure? Did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? That's how we can be with Jesus. Let me surrender. Okay, I'm going to surrender, but actually I'm going to check in. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to lay it down, but just kidding. I'm going to pick it back up a week later. <laughs> Let me go and give it to you, but oh, wait. Are you sure you really care? Are you sure that's in your hands? Actually, I don't want you to do it that way. No, not him. No, not her. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, like, no, not that, whatever, whatever. But that thing is this way. It's not quite what I, how, no. Can you proofread it? <laughs> you know? And I think a lot of times our surrender or trust comes with not really. <laughs> like we're still holding on. That's what happens when we worry. It's like these psychological strings still tied to the thing. And we're like, here, we give it to you. And then it's sitting over there, but there's these strings still tied to your brain. And then every so often, you're like, the enemy just goes flicks and he's like, see, yeah, mm. Flicks it, mm, look, it's still going. <laughs> and that's how worry, like, and so then we're like, but I gave it to you. Why didn't you do anything about it? And he's like, I'm trying, let go. <laughs> you know? And so I think today, um, I know we've heard, like, we can trust God and stuff, but I think a lot of times we don't realize the things that kind of keep us from really overtly, like, trusting. Sometimes it's that we think we can do more. And sometimes it's that we don't feel... Um, we forget that he really cares. And sometimes it's that we're just constantly, we're still not letting go of it, you know? And so today I want to invite us to really um, try, and not even try, let's just do it. Let's forego the old master, and let's focus on God. Let's stop focusing on our lack and our deprivation and our pain and remind ourselves that God has us.
And so I want to invite every single one of us um, to stand. And can I have um, someone from the worship team to play something back here? And if there's something or anything that it's been really hard to trust God and you find yourself doing that thing where you're like, I can't, I give this to you, God, but let me, let me just check and you can feel the threads and the strings still tied to it. Or you haven't even given it to him at all yet, but you want to. I want you to um, just... Pray with me. I want you to think of those things. Father God, I just thank you that your word is clear that you do care. You do have a desire to prosper us, and that you have desires for our future. It's not to your best benefit that we sit around like bums either. God, that you care about our jobs. I thank you that you care about our friends, our schools, our work, our marriages. But Lord God, I thank you that you want to be first. And so even right now, Lord God, I pray that all the things that we are worried about, I just want you to even just do time with him and just imagine yourself putting it in a bucket and handing it to him. And I'll just be quiet and let you do your business with him for a little bit. <laughs> 